Okay, we're recording now, right? Yes, we are. Excellent. I think so, at least. We we are recording. We think we are Hello, recording. Everyone. Hello, everyone. We're back. You're listening to the Podcasting Guild. I'm Eric. On the other side is Andrew, the Hello. inevitable one who shall come again in like the future. It made me sound like an eldritch god. Yeah, basically. I mean, have you seen your glasses, man? I'm just, I'm just happy you didn't call me the old one. <laughs> well, you're getting to that. I know. Yeah. White in my beard. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. <laughs> so what are we doing today, Eric? Yeah. So what's the agenda? For those of you who've been following along, we recently completed the first season of the Babylon 5 TV series. Also, the titular name of our podcast, you know, the the podcast and guild babylon 5 so there you go i presume you've been following along watching that tv series and if you have this episode will be a recap of the first season where andrew and i take a retrospective look back at what has come and gone and look to the future and where the series will go from there so that's what we're looking at today andrew and as preparation for that i've prepared some questions for you and and for me oh, i guess all yeah. right yeah. all right Question rounds. <laughs> there was a TV series back in the late 90s, early 2000s called Inside the Actor's Studio. I don't know if you're, oh, familiar, yeah. you're familiar with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With that with that bearded dude. Yeah, much like yourself, only he was bald. Yeah. <laughs> well, that might be much like myself pretty soon <laughs> as well. We'll see. Yeah, that was hosted by James Lipton. And he had this thing where he would ask questions of the actors at the conclusion of every episode. Similarly, I have produce some questions that i will okay we're, we're starting yet you're skipping right to it yeah all right let's yeah. let's go we'll jump right in with the questions are these babylon five questions they are or are they They're just like related to life questions okay great life related questions are the familiar. series yeah so yeah as i was mentioning we recently wrapped up the first season of babylon five the season encompassed a lot of different topics, went through a lot of different things we saw a lot of different characters and people coming through the station so i think the best place to start would be your favorite character Andrews in the first season if we look back on it who was your favorite character would you say I think I have an idea of who this might be yeah I mean I think it's my boy Londo yeah I think that might uh, you know I mean Garibaldi's great too I I don't know Garibaldi and Londo are kind of I kind of the two up there Yeah, if we go back and look at the scorecard for your favorite characters, oh, episode by score? episode, okay. yeah, it's definitely uh, Londo and Garibaldi with a yeah. good lead over most yeah, of the rest I bet of the characters. Veer's in there as well, Londo's assistant, as you like to call him, Space Newman. <laughs> good old Space Newman. Mm-hmm. I can't say that's even an especially, well, I don't know, I, I think it is accurate. I think he is pretty Newman-esque. He's not quite as malicious True. as Newman was True. from Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah. I mean, Londo is the best of Babylon 5, right? Mm-hmm. He, you know, overall, let's be honest, the dialogue is kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. Like, the dialogue just really isn't all that good by conventional standards here in the 2020s. But Londo made it work because he got to be so eccentric. Mm-hmm that like he wasn't making these sort of cringy rye remarks at the end of all of his sentences like a lot of you know Ivanova and all of those yeah. characters were so i think his dialogue and his 
lines they just worked better for me he got to be really eccentric and out there i was here for it i loved it i thought it was great and then garibaldi garibaldi is great yeah garibaldi has his own it's like a whole separate series within the series going on with garibaldi where he's doing like a whole film noir tv series inside of a sci-fi tv series yeah no i totally agree i totally agree and some of the episodes where he breaking down and starting bar fights i mean they were just they were so absurd they were funny kind of that <laughs> i don't know because you're right it's, it's like they're like going through a whole noir plot arc with him but you know one comment i have about this season as a whole you mentioned they covered a lot of things i feel like they covered too many things yeah it felt like they were sprinting through <laughs> through through topics and through plot arcs and stuff yeah i don't know i don't know or some of the writing some of the plot elements were really good right like that planet-sized computer mm-hmm. but then the actual scenes that you would watch were just they weren't that good mm-hmm. <laughs> you know with them exploring the inside and so yeah i thought some of the concepts were really excellent and some of the themes were really interesting but not always executed with much care, I thought. Oh, I'm getting way off topic. What question did you ask me? Who is my favorite, favorite character? character? Yeah. Yeah. Londo. Londo. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> Londo. That's okay. That's okay. I think, you know. Next question. <laughs> this is a retrospective, so we're going to take our true. time to really go through those topics. I think it's, it's fine. So uh, I think just uh, expanding upon that a little bit more, I think you are correct in that. Uh, much of the first season is looking for a direction. It's kind of directionless to start with. And they eventually start to pick up a direction at the tail end of the season. And to be sure, the first season probably has more bottle episodes or standalone episodes than any other season. The rest of the seasons all start to formulate a larger story arc, which we've already started to see in the tail end of the first season here with obviously the assassination of the president in the last episode, the conspiracy around that and the whole Psycor thing and this ancient enemy coming back potentially those sorts of things all are left to grow in the first season and they really start to take off in the second season where we see that yeah no i i I remember you mentioning to me when we were first starting that the first season was weaker than some subsequent seasons Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah i believe that i believe that there were a lot of sort of meandering episodes which in hindsight was a little frustrating because they really set up a lot of (laughs) things for you to be interested in and then we're sort of hesitant to actually do anything with those Mm. yeah we'll make a little progress here on one of the core story elements but then we'll have three or four episodes that are just side bottle episodes or character episodes which is fine because to be sure you need to establish the characters in the first season as well there needs to be some of that happening the world building going on uh but i think they could have executed better as you pointed out from that standpoint well and we'll see maybe i'll change my mind after watching more sure. you know and seasons and seeing how they resolve things but it really felt like the writers reveled in opening new cans of worms <laughs> and just setting new mysterious breadcrumbs mm-hmm. and really were just not that interested in resolving the ones they had already laid like, yeah you know i mean the kosh thing that kicked off the season we got like, I don't know, one episode kind of early on that moved that needle a little bit. And then it was just like, Kosh who? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, oh, you, oh, he showed up to blow up a shuttle. Okay, bye. <laughs> you know, or like, 
here to remind Sinclair that he has an appointment because no one has cell phones in this future with alarms on them. Yeah, well, you know, Kosh is a man about town. He's got his business going on. <laughs> he is a man about town. I like that halfway through the season, they're like, you know, we probably should just have Kosh out, out and about. about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't just seem like he's lurking in his room all the time. Right. Watching weird videos the entire time. Yeah, but then him just casually strolling down the hallway chit-chatting, and they should have had the extra stare at him. Right. The fact that no one gives him a second look, he's like eight feet tall, he's three times as wide as a person, <laughs> he takes up half the hallway, and all the extras that are walking past them are just, oh, minding their business mm -hmm. and talking amongst themselves, nothing new here. Like, he's the only, I forgot what they're called. What are they called? Vorlon. He's the only Vorlon on Babylon 5. Right, yeah. Like, why isn't he being stared at? Mm -hmm. You would think that would anyway. be the case. You'd think. Yeah. And I can totally see a, a funny side episode where he just followed Kosh around all days. He's gone about business and just keeps getting stuck in hallways, figuring out what's going on because people can't get around him and all, all these awkward situations. Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, I guess he had an episode where he tricked Winters. Yeah, Talia into like we don't even know what doing something that he can trigger later which again why why couldn't they have resolved that this season mysteries upon mysteries yeah mysteries upon mysteries but too many whatever something <laughs> spoils the broth like let us get invested in a few of your good ones mm -hmm. and chew on those yeah but yeah, I guess they had 26 episodes. Well, that's the thing. 26 episodes and very little actual progress on most of these plot arcs. Yep. <laughs> Delane quitting the council was like an actual change to a character. And I guess then she going into a chrysalis. Mm -hmm. And Sinclair had one episode where he was being a walk down memory lane. Right. But yeah, that's a pretty, I mean, one out of 23 or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's... <laughs> it's not much. It's not much. So yeah, I hope future seasons are a little meatier. Yeah, they, they definitely are. Their Monster of the Week episodes aren't that strong. <laughs> so I, I'm sort, I sort of hope <laughs> that there's more. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they do go away from the Monster of the Week episodes. I mean, they still have a few of them scattered here and there, of course. Well, I don't dislike Monster of the Week episodes. I just, I, the, these ones weren't as good as just hearing more about the characters and mysteries that we're interested would have been right right and you know unfortunately with the production schedule right 26 episodes you gotta come up with content for them but i think to your point they could have done more with the actual uh content they had but at the same time looking back on it Babylon 5 was trying something new it's trying a serialized story in an era of tv where that really wasn't existent for kind of prime time tv much of its competing tv shows were episodic in nature. Everything got reset at the end of the episode. And so right. it was experimental to a large extent as well. That played a role for that. Yeah, I guess I can kind of see that. Like if the expected thing was for nothing to ever change, then changing a little bit at a time probably seemed reasonable or like a big step. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. The eras of shows like Breaking Bad where every episode not only advances important plot arcs but like mm -hmm. has sort of satisfying conclusions to mysteries right. from the previous episode as opposed to in, <laughs> you know the previous season or like, you know 30 episodes ago or something mm -hmm. 
I just have a bad memory, so I'm worried I'm not going to remember because we skipped through the last time on, mm-hmm. I don't know, I always skip those just because my attention span really isn't that long. <laughs> I don't think I'm the target audience for this show. <laughs> bad memory, short attention span. No problem with that. But let's continue on with our questions. I think our oh, yeah. next you question is is fairly straightforward. I think we already know the answer to this one too, but who was your funniest character or who did you think was the funniest character had the most fun on the show oh that's a tough one i mean some of the characters were strictly comic relief right like space newman veer what's his name veer yeah veer i mean he was actual just comic relief so almost all his lines were meant to be funny right um garibaldi had a lot of jokes but only a couple actually funny moments Mm mm-hmm he was quippy. When Winters slaps him in the elevator, that wasn't even a line. That yeah. was just a look he did, but he did it well. And <laughs> I guess she delivered it well, too. That was super funny. I don't know. Yeah, probably Londo slash Veer, the Londo-Veer power duo. <laughs> the power couple. I think yeah. they, yeah. I mean, come on. That cat's line. <laughs> that, yeah, that was, that was so line. good. Yeah. It's a great line. Come on. What are they called? Webbed feet, feathers, cats. Yes being pecked to death by cats yeah yeah that was great ah that was great yeah i don't know londo veer i think Mm -hmm. okay all right here's a good question yeah what's up who was your favorite bad guy that is a good question i don't remember any of their names that's not true i remember exactly one of their names and so he wins except in this very moment just now i can't remember it bester bester Yes. Bester. I mean, he's the only one I can name. And also, he was great. I mean, those psychic battle scenes were just so corny. And, <laughs> and I mean, they, they were terrific. They were really terrific. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Who else even comes close? No one. No one comes close. Yeah, I think Bester's definitely be Bester. a standout antagonist of the series, of the season at least. Yeah. I like that one colonel guy that had the voice. He was good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was a good... Wait, good wait, which one was that? Sorry. He was the one that had the really cool voice and the scar and doing a right internal okay. investigations. I remember him now. And yeah. that saw the return of the Sinclair Punch, or maybe it was at the first Sinclair Punch. I don't remember. But there was definitely a Sinclair Punch in there. <laughs> Sinclair Punch. So many other of the bad guy bad guys and not just like misunderstood. Yeah bureaucrats i don't know that you know they, they would just elbow garibaldi's guards in the elevator and then escape right or something stupid yeah. like that but bester he made things happen he was like darth vader right mm-hmm. he just walked in was like a force of nature and controlled every room he was in or, yep. or you know at least when he got to ivanova that was great that was an awesome interaction yeah honestly bester's episodes was one of the strongest of this whole season yeah I think you'll find agreement with many people on that one, to be sure. <laughs> and he's a Star Trek character, I remember you t- yeah, told me. He right? plays, yeah, he plays... Wesley. Nope, nope. He plays oh. Pavel Chekhov in the original series. Oh, Pavel Chekhov, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah, he plays Pavel Chekhov in the original series. And I think I, I mentioned this in the episode with Bester, but the actor that plays him actually really enjoyed playing the character of Bester because it allowed him to step out of... He had been typecast as a goofy russian guy in star trek and he got stuck there and while it's a fun character to play and certainly iconic 
in the Star Trek franchise, there's not a whole lot of meat there. And with Bester, yeah. he was able to really act <laughs> with a capital A and be a bad guy for once and, and try out things and really try and inherit a different role from what he had typically been doing before, which was cool for him. Yeah, I bet it was. I bet it was. I totally believe that he was having a blast mm-hmm. <laughs> playing that character. So next question. It's kind of a, a two-parter here. So All right. Babylon 5 was one of the pioneering TV series to really heavily utilize CGI in the early 90s. And I think that's that's fairly evident. Obviously, the CGI isn't probably the best part of the series anymore. It's not dated all that well. It's still fun, but you can definitely see differences between now and then in terms of just computer graphics and things you haven't finished your question but honestly Mm -hmm. i thought the cgi held up shockingly well (laughs) because contrasting it with live action with like actual human actors and so i think it would be really easy for it to pull you out of the show every time it cut to cgi if it was too bad right yeah but it was passable it didn't pull me out every time we cut to cgi Mm -hmm. My brain was like, oh, that's the ship, and this is what's happening. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus, what, <laughs> you know, look at that. It looks terrible. So, like, yeah, it did. It, it, I feel like it actually held up quite well for, for yeah. those reasons. That's very good. So, with that being said, in general, what was your favorite use of CGI? Or what was your favorite design in terms of the, the ships and, and the CGI? items in there i mean that's a great question i'm gonna have to apologize and say that my again bad memory like i don't actually remember too much of the ship designs i think they could have taken a page from star wars in terms of showing the ships in a way that gave them some scale Mm -hmm. a lot of the shots of ships in in bab 5 they're sort of from above and, and behind a little bit of the ship or like a little bit far away from the ship yeah you know when the cruisers show up and everyone's acting like oh my god these cruisers are so dangerous and we need to tread carefully and stuff it's like the cgi didn't display that mm-hmm. in my opinion so i don't know if i had a favorite the design of babylon 5 is okay it didn't blow me away but then again a lot of the sci-fi i've consumed have probably been informed by this show so maybe that's why it didn't it didn't stand out as something special but i'm trying to think i liked when the coalition brought a fleet the <laughs> the other races there yeah. and then there was just like a bunch of crazy ships including just like a classic flying saucer right yeah i actually really like how they incorporated sort of alien you know americana mythology into the show in in cute little ways right with that flying saucer and then later that courtroom scenes opens (laughs) with his grandfather abducted my grandfather (laughs) Uh, that that was just beautiful yeah i'm saying all this to avoid the question because i actually don't think i can answer what was my favorite spaceship design i'm sorry i'm sorry to tell you no it's okay i think for myself i just kind of enjoy the aesthetic of the human designs they just seem more human than a lot of other Mm -hmm. sci-fi series out there they're they're more industrial they're more mechanical looking and you'll see that even more with some of the other designs that you'll see in the upcoming seasons it becomes more apparent that they're just really utilitarian they're not flashy they're kind of blocky and ugly and that's, yeah, you know, military for you, right? The military doesn't care what it looks like as long as it works. I think 
that kind of design aesthetic that the humans have in the series, I really like that uh, with their ship designs. And in, in the case of the first season, the Earth Force cruiser that shows up when the planetary computers discovered, that ship was pretty cool. Although it seemed kind of wimpy when they actually had a fight going on. <laughs> right, yeah. No, exactly. What are we bringing these giant lasers into the show for if we're not going to shoot them a little bit? Right, yeah. But also having an exchange on which nobody is really hurt kind of <laughs> undermines the... Yeah, I thought that was supposed to be a big killer laser and it didn't do anything. <laughs> no, it really didn't do much. <laughs> yeah. But I like the design of the ship nonetheless. And of course, you have the design of the actual starfighters that they use, the Star Furies, which is a very cool design as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I like the Starfighters. I want to see a show. Well, I, you know, I guess now there are shows, but mm-hmm. but what bugs me a little bit about shows like Star Trek and Babylon Five is that these giant warships in space get right up next to each other <laughs> and then shoot their lasers. I feel like lasers would have a pretty long range. I feel like they'd probably have other things with a very long range. Mm-hmm. Why are they acting like they're sort of old? wooden sailboat you know (laughs) cannons yeah that's very true but it is fun nonetheless (laughs) oh it's a good time it's a good time yeah okay next question so as loyal listeners are aware andrew is a bit of a scientist himself having a degree in physics so he's a bit of a smart guy over there one of the things that. that you that you like to pick on are the science fails so what was your favorite science fail Favorite science fail. Or worst science fail. I think the worst one, because it's one that they didn't have to know any science to think of if they had just thought about it a little harder, was when the ship came out of the gate disabled Mm -hmm. and was going to collide with Babylon 5, (laughs) which is just insane. (laughs) Right? It's like if you put the UN on an airport runway. Right, yeah. Like, oh yeah, there's going to be planes landing, and if they don't break fast enough, they're definitely just going to run into you. <laughs> but this is where we're putting the building. Yep. Uh, sorry, it's too late to change it. <laughs> you don't even know physics. And they could have addressed it. Like, there could have been an explosion that pushed it way off course, or mm. one of their engines, they couldn't turn it off or something, so it pushed them way off course, or I don't know, something. But yeah. <laughs> That was a pretty good, pretty good fail. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Overall, it wasn't too bad. I'm pretty nitpicky. And also, I'm probably wrong at least a third of the time. Like, honestly, <laughs> when Eric says I'm something of a scientist, it really is in the meme sense. Like, I did actual research in a lab for all of two years. So <laughs> I'm not really a scientist. <laughs> I'm trying to think. What, what were some other... Space was just really small. Mm-hmm. People would get into a Starfighter and they'd be like, oh, it's a three-hour trip. And nothing is a three-hour trip. Everything takes weeks and, and months to get to. And you're in a little-ass Starfighter, you know. Three-hour trip means it's right next door. It's like the next closest thing. So, yeah, I didn't think overall that they got their sense of scale in space. You mm-hmm. know, space didn't feel vast. Right. It felt like... Bab 5 was home base and everything you can imagine from unknowable space monsters to like giant weaponized computer planets to <laughs> everything else was just one quick cut scene away from Babylon 5. Yeah. I mean, it takes a few days to reach the moon. It's not 
something yeah, that happens no, exactly. overnight. And the moon's our closest celestial body. The moon's like super close. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're... we're um, Was 120,000 miles, something like that? can't remember. But yeah, the moon and, and Earth, obviously, are in orbit around each other. It's a planetary pair. Yeah, getting to the moon, which, yeah, is like, I don't know, a week, a couple weeks? I don't know how long it takes. Yeah, I think it's uh, at least a few days. But it's it's literally our front porch, right? Like, it's an order of a couple order of magnitude closer than Mars, and Mars is also really close in in space terms. So, yeah, one of the things that makes space so interesting is its vastness and its incomprehensible whatever. And yeah, this show just kind of Game of Thrones the travel distances. It was yeah, I know, or, you know, Game of Thrones where they walk someplace and it takes a whole season, and then they do the same journey in a cutscene or you know one episode. <laughs> That's how Babylon Five felt a little bit. Is like everything was just one cutscene away. Yeah, I think that's a fair um, criticism. But yeah, I don't know. I actually appreciate it overall. Like it's easy to nitpick, but overall, I really appreciated the attention to detail they took with sciency things. They thought about that there would be places in the station where there w- wasn't gravity and like, yeah, it wasn't like those scenes made a super convincing display of there not <laughs> being much gravity, but still they, they put in the effort. Roller coaster Star Trek was yeah. just like, it's artificial gravity. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I didn't ask you nothing. It's artificial gravity. Yeah. So at least Babylon five makes an attempt. <laughs> Very true. They do. Okay. Now we get to some of the, the big questions here. Yeah. Hit me. What was your, Favorite episode. Favorite episode overall? Yeah. That's a great question. And I don't expect you to know the name of it, but just kind of describe the episode and we can probably get it from there. I mean, I think it was Bester's episode. Yeah. Because even the not Bester part of that episode was really good. The escaped experiment subject Mm -hmm. who is gaining godlike powers and like can control it and it might rip the station apart. I don't know. I, I'm, I love that. I loved the Akira in space <laughs> plot line. The bad guy was excellent. Mm-hmm. The corny parts were so delightfully corny. Like the psychic battle parts Yeah, was sort of the best kind of campy. Yeah. I mean, I think like a, a lot of other episodes had really good moments especially the ones involving Londo. <laughs> He'd have some great one-liners. But I think I think the episode with Bester, I don't know, yeah, probably my favorite. It's it's one of the ones I can remember the most vividly. Like, it yeah. stuck with me. I think that's definitely a, a key to a best episode, something that you can come back to and you can easily remember. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that one was my favorite. That one was excellent. <laughs> okay, so with that being said, what was the worst episode? And I think I can put a bet on which one this one was. Yeah, I mean, you you already know. Like, there's a few that would be in contention if not for TKO. <laughs> uh, but it, it's obviously TKO. Like, <laughs> you even remember the name of that episode? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It has also stuck with me for totally different reasons. <laughs> I was like, actually, a little bit angry when we finish that episode like i've i have a full life i have lots of obligations and responsibilities and demands on my time and i was like this this is how i spent an hour of my weekend i was like god damn it no yeah that one was just so bad it was aggressively bad which is yeah 
yeah, I don't know. Like, which one was worse? The I can't forgive my father, so I'm going to, like, not sit Shiva, or the kind of racist space, you know, martial arts tournament. I don't know. I mean, the martial arts tournament was obviously worse. It's, yeah, it's not a hard question. But Ivanova's would have been fine if there was a better other plot. Yeah. Like, it would have been fine as a B-plot on its own, but... There was no redeeming feature to the episode. Both plots were bad in this case. Exactly. Like, when a scene came on with one of them, I was never like, oh, I wish we were watching the other plot instead. Yeah. Like, no, they were both <laughs> awful. <laughs> they both did not hold my interest. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what like we kind of said it all about that episode. It just had. It, it was just. It felt a little lazy. It felt a little lazy. The Garibaldi's good friend who has to explain to him that he is a disgraced former world champion boxer. Mm-hmm. It's like what a what a terrible friend you are, Garibaldi. You didn't <laughs> know about your friend's infamous fall from grace. Yeah, and that was all news. Yeah, exactly, and then. He punches really well, so now the aliens respect humans. <laughs> yeah, that's the only way you it's get just... respect is punching people. No, exactly, exactly. You know, I said some of their plot lines felt like they were sprinting through them, and that's what this was. This was like speed running Karate Kid, or like you yeah, know, one one of those Taekwondo movies, or you know, Bruce Lee movies. Yeah, Enter the Dragon, things yeah. like that. Drunken Master. Oh man, Drunken Master, so great movie um but it was just bad because they were just again speed running through it right it's like uh you're not allowed here this is only for real fighters oh i am a real fighter come on let me do it okay we'll let you do it okay here here's a a coach to mentor you okay i'm being mentored it's just like they didn't even have a good training montage in that episode they they didn't have a good training montage all these criticisms are before we even get to those alien accents (laughs) <laughs> which were just straight up old school mocking chinese or japanese people talking yeah yeah but they were applied to aliens mm-hmm. yeah it was a pretty bad episode it was pretty bad that gives me an idea for another podcast where we do all kung fu movies that'd be fun <laughs> man we should definitely do that there's some great yeah some of jackie chan's old chinese movies yeah are like really quite good actually Mm, very true maybe we can roll that into our uh, pod specials where we watch various other genre tvs and uh, i'd be down for that yeah (laughs) diversify yep we could totally do that coming to you in a patreon stream at some time in the near future i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah what else you got for me yeah a couple more questions and then we'll go and wrap up today's episode so Obviously, there's a lot of mysteries still to be solved, still to be figured out. So many. Too many. So what are you most looking forward to in the next season? Is there something like an, a mystery you want to see solved or a topic that you want to see addressed in the next I season? Mean, of course, Eric. Yeah, there's too many. That's <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. There's, there's too many and it's pulling. It's like a dog with squirrels. I can't sink my <laughs> teeth into one. I want to see what Kosh looks like. Why did that dude say nothing will ever be the same after he saw Akasha's face? That's a weird thing to say <laughs> after seeing someone's face. I want to know what 
Sinclair was doing coming back from the future as an old man. I want to know what that supercomputer is going to do. The planetary supercomputer, I've said this a few times, one of my favorite concepts Mm -hmm. that the show has put out there. I'm just disappointed with what they've done with it so far. So I'm like really looking forward to seeing what happens with that. Yeah, as like a sci-fi sort of concept, I I love it. It belongs in like an RPG or something. Mm -hmm. What else? I mean, so many. Like the obvious conspiracy with the psychic folks that seem to be taking a distressing amount of power in government. I mean, that I find that a really cool plot line. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what happens there. Yeah. Yes, Eric, to answer your question. <laughs> yes, there are some mysteries that I would like to see the resolutions to. And maybe you will. Or maybe there will be more mysteries. That's a mystery for another day. That's what I'm worried. That's what I'm worried. Is they're gonna is they're gonna have too many loose ends to reasonably tie up, mm-hmm. and they're gonna forget about some of these. <laughs> that's my worry. Yeah, that's understandable. But I can reassure you that by the end of the, all this, you will be fairly well satisfied. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Great. Great. Eric says there's a happy ending. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> But that leads me right. into my next question, which are predictions for next season. You've already had a couple of predictions. There's one big one where you think that Babylon 4 is going back in time to fight the ancient war from, or the future war from long ago or something like that. But yeah, you made predictions about that. Are there any predictions that you have for the upcoming season that you think are going to come to pass that we can maybe put a little wager on? Oh, 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 let's do it. Let's see. Yeah, I have a few. Uh, Delenn is going to come out of her chrysalis. Okay. I don't think they have the patience to put that off more than one season. <laughs> what else? What else? What else? I think we're going to see Bester again. Okay, yeah. Man, I hope we see Bester again. Garibaldi's going to live. <laughs> <laughs> I predict that. Okay. Big, I know, I know. Very brave. Very yeah, brave. yeah. What else? Predictions. I think the new president is going to be a real jerk. <laughs> I think he's going to be kind of a bad guy. Okay. Maybe that's not fair. Maybe that's not fair. All I know is that he succeeded the other president and didn't go on the assassination tour at the very last minute, which is sketch. But yeah, I feel like why kill off the president if you're just going to replace him with a pretty decent guy who, <laughs> you know, <laughs> is, is fine. Yeah, I don't know. Those are those are my predictions. Okay. So I got some interesting predictions there. We'll see if any of those come to pass in the next season. I definitely should have gotten the wager first before making the predictions. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Because now you're like, oh, he's wrong about everything. So <laughs> or he's right about everything. So I'm not gonna bet all that much. So yeah, if you want to buy me a new car, we can put that up on the wager block yeah like like a hot wheels yeah i could do that (laughs) i'll get you hot wheels okay and for the last question for today's episode how do you rate the season overall one to ten any scale you want what's your thoughts in terms of the season overall first season season overall season overall let's see yeah first season of babylon five uh i mean like a like a b minus maybe a c plus Okay. We'll say B minus. We'll say B minus. I think it has a lot going for it. It has a lot of really cool concepts. It has a lot of very interesting, you know, sort of political and kind of 
elements that deal with class and stuff like that. I really like that. The writing wasn't great. The dialogue wasn't great. But there are a lot of really good moments. Yeah, I don't know. What did you think, Eric, Rewatching this? I assume you hadn't seen this for many years. Did it hold up? It had been at least, what is it, three or four years since I've seen it? Because you've had the DVDs for that long. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even watching them. You should, next time you're over, yes, get your DVDs. We'll do that. Because now you've actually seen the first season, you don't need the DVDs anymore. True. <laughs> also, take your board game. I don't have any shelf space, so it's sitting on the table, and we'll we do don't that. really have any table space either. Yes, so. we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is a solid first season. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's horrible. I think there have been other TV shows that have had way more difficult first seasons than Babylon 5, but there's certainly a lot of room for improvement by that standard as well. If we look at comparatively with other similar TV shows from the time period, The Next Generation, which aired their first season, you know, five, six years prior to this, or and then Deep Space Nine, which aired basically in parallel to Babylon 5. I think they were a season ahead. I think looking at in, in relative position to those, there are very similar lines, you know, in terms of first season is very much the TV series finding its footing. Uh, yeah. Definitely a lot of world building going on. And the, the actors finding out their characters and exploring their characters and getting to know their characters too. And I think we've seen definitely a maturing of the characters. Garibaldi for sure is now very well-defined as a character. You get a very well-defined Delenn, a very well-defined Londo and Jakar. I think maybe yeah. Jakar to a lesser extent because we haven't seen him all that much this season, but you definitely get a, a pretty good idea. When you hear those names, you know what kind of character they are now. At a minimum, they did a really good job of establishing those characters, which a lot of what the series is about is the characters. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. It's very much a character drama with a sci-fi backdrop to a large extent. And some people even say that the show is actually about a couple of the characters more specifically, but we'll go into that at another time, perhaps, because it might give away too much. I mean, one of those characters has got to be Garibaldi, right? I mean, he is tortured more than almost any other <laughs> member of the main cast yeah they put him up so many trees <laughs> you know sinclair gets kidnapped now and then and has that going but poor garibaldi he's worried sick over an old love he thinks is gonna die he's constantly getting in bar fights and you know getting shot at and stabbed at and, and betrayed fighting his addictions and all these other things fighting his addictions he really gets put through the ringer compare that to ivanova's struggles yeah her dad was unsupportive of her in non-specific ways and <laughs> and she yeah. had to deal with that for a little while i guess mm -hmm. no one get, got put through the ringer like garibaldi did this season very true very true uh, I, I guess the guy who got turned into a god against his will and his body disintegrated like arguably he had a worse fate well he was just one episode yeah that's true. actually when you start yeah letting letting the bad guys in the count a lot of people had worse fates than garibaldi <laughs> some people got eaten by like aliens and yes. kasha's suit mm -hmm. but uh yeah of the main characters garibaldi so yeah i would absolutely believe 100 percent 
if Garibaldi is low-key the actual protagonist. Mm -hmm. But I was actually surprised how not the protagonist Sinclair was. I was sort of expecting him to play kind of a Captain Kirk role, and he does a little bit. There are several episodes where you're like, why is he participating in this? Mm -hmm. Why is he the one leading this? But it's not the story of at least not yet, the story of Sinclair and everyone else is just supporting characters. Garibaldi and Ivanova and Londo, they all got their own stories and their own plots. And uh, yeah, so mm. I thought it was a a well-done ensemble cast, you know? Yeah, I agree. So I'll, I'll be interested to see moving forward who uh, who people think this, the series is actually about. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll hear more it's gotta about be that. Garibaldi, though, right? It's got to be. We'll hear more about that in episodes to come. We'll leave it at that for now. (laughs) Before we wrap up, do you want to do a quick science minute corner aside? Oh, yeah. I bet I I know what today's is. (laughs) You might be right because I sent you the article earlier today. Yeah. Although I had seen this uh, before you sent it over. It's incredible, honestly. I'm escaping to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Space. Yeah, for this week's Science Corner, we're going to take a slight deviation from our typical space theme and look into the world of physics, specifically quantum physics and quantum entanglement, which is very cool. I won't bother trying to explain it because I don't understand a lot of it so i'm not going to be making stuff up either but yeah andrew quantum entanglement there's a new article on nature discussing how they were able to entangle two atoms that were about 20 miles apart which i guess is big deal because that means that quantum computing is that much closer quantum internet maybe and i mean yeah we'll yeah. see <laughs> it, it, it is incredible it's absolutely incredible so the thing about quantum states is that they're incredibly fragile like when we say quantum states, we basically mean a superposition. Like if you ever heard of Schrodinger's cat, cat's both dead and alive until you open the box and then it, it resolves to one of those states. Well, that sort of state of things being in a superposition of many states, that's a very fragile thing. And it collapses. Actually, that's the verbiage we use in physics. It collapses as soon as it's observed. And in this context, observed means interacted with in any way. And the world, you may not know this, but the world is full of things <laughs> that interact with particles, like air and, you know, the sides of a vacuum chamber that you might put this in. So it's like really hard to keep these particles isolated so that they retain their quantum state. So having two particles that were, what were they, 20 miles? Yeah, about 20, 20 miles, miles apart, apart. Entangled is an incredible achievement. It's really amazing. These particles are, that may as well be the other side of the universe as far as the the particles are concerned in terms of their scale. So it's, yeah, it's amazing. When I was in school, people were excited over having entangled particles that were a couple feet away. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 20 miles is just mind blowing. I don't know. I I am not an expert in quantum computing, but I am a bit skeptical honestly that it will live up to the hype yeah yeah one of my professors in grad school i didn't do research with him but the thing he did research on was quantum information theory Mm -hmm. and the reason why this is 
important is because it turns out, and no one predicted, well, maybe some people predicted this, but I certainly wouldn't have predicted this. It turns <laughs> out there's like this fundamental thing in the universe or, you know, uh, law of nature at that scale that just makes information not propagate very well. You know, with, with computer chips and stuff, it works because when a bit flips, that bit stays flipped. And when a future calculation needs to reference that bit, you know, you have very high certainty of it being the correct thing. But quantum states, as you use one to inform another, the way that computing works, the fidelity of those states just doesn't persist very mm. far. Like after five or six steps or some, I don't I'm kind of making that number up, but like after not that many steps, you know, you lose the fidelity of the, the states, you, you know, the, it, oh, hi kitty. <laughs> and it's not obvious to me that we will be able to like get around this sort of physical limit in a way that's economically viable, right? right? Like if you have a quantum computer that's as fast as a million standard computers, that's only going to get built if it's easier and cheaper to build than just a million standard computers because <laughs> right. you can make like yeah people people have made processor cores with like you know or processors with like you know hundreds or thousands of cores right and you can array these into millions of cores right mm -hmm. so quantum computing can't just be theoretically possible for us to see it it also has to be practical in some right. way and it's not obvious to me again not an expert but it's not obvious to me that this weird sort of physical limitation of how yeah how much fidelity information has on the atomic scale like if that if it'll allow quantum computing to become as efficient as it would need to become mm -hmm. in order for us to actually see things like quantum computers or you know quantum internet things like that yeah i'm curious and i don't know if you have the expertise to really answer this question, but I'm curious if quantum entanglement could be used for long range communications. Because now that we're taking our first baby steps into space, one of the biggest hurdles we deal with is obviously time delay and radio communications reaching past the moon. It takes minutes for the communications to get to the moon already. Um, yeah. Being able to basically change the state of an atom that can be long distance apart from each other seems like it might be a way of communicating information in that manner and you're 100 percent right eric yeah this has actually been an idea percolating around for a while in my opinion it is one of the more plausible sort of uh currently sci-fi but like maybe someday ideas mm -hmm. you know a space elevator maybe a time travel probably not faster than light travel probably not but quantum communications doesn't seem that unreasonable and we, you know, we would have to solve this fidelity issue to a point yep. because uh, you know, most communications requires sort of logic functions in some way. But yeah, quantum communications would open up a lot of doors. Getting humans to faraway stars is really hard because we're... We're very finicky, you know, <laughs> yeah. we, we need all this, all this air and we need it to stay in a very specific temperature range. Our bones really don't like zero G and, you know, there's probably all kinds of issues that would happen if you're out there for years that we don't even know about yet because mm -hmm. we only let people stay up there for like a month at a time or something. So getting humans to far away stars is a really, really hard challenge, but getting a robot out there still super hard. Don't get me wrong but way, way easier, right? You don't need to send over food and water and air and all the additional fuel to 
send all that stuff and all the re- the system redundancies you'd have to set up so that you know anyway right so being able to just send a robot a drone out to do some exploring and land on planets and like we did with mars would be huge and that kind of requires quantum computing mm-hmm. right because you see how hard it is to reliably control these robots on mars when there's only a few minutes delay imagine if there were if there if the delay was months or years right, right. like you, you couldn't control a robot right you couldn't it's just not in the cards so quantum computing would let you do that and that would be yeah that would be huge that'd be absolutely incredible faster than light communications um, yeah yeah it's true the the only thing that can travel faster than the speed of light as far as we know is information information Sounds like an interesting future, perhaps. It would be very cool if that ever comes to pass. Uh, that would be very cool. Yeah. That would be very cool. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. I think that about wraps us up for today's episode. And my apologies, Andrew. I told you this was going to be a bit shorter, but we ended up talking yeah. a little bit more than uh, I thought we would. It was fun. That's why it's but, a Yeah. <laughs> so, fans, we will be watching for our next episode galaxy quest as a special midsummer episode of the podcasting guild so it'll be the podcasting guild galaxy quest next time you hear us and we might be a little bit drunk for that one who knows i haven't decided that yet but yeah that will be our next episode i've been a little bit drunk for all of these eric yes that's true it's true (laughs) i just i just want to set expectations here okay a little (laughs) bit more drunk then (laughs) Uh, yeah so that will be our next episode and then we will return to babylon 5 after we conclude that episode in terms of timing we'll be a little bit playing it by ear for right now just because we have summer traveling going on for work and other things going on so obviously we're working schmucks as we are too so gotta keep that in mind but keep an eye out for our galaxy quest episode later this month and then we'll be following up with another episode of babylon 5 following that And with that, friends, thank you for listening. As always, we will see you again in the future. And Andrew, any last words? Oh, just just a couple. Okay. Okay. A good eating to you. A good eating to you, too.